Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. Thanks for joining me today on I Don't Care with Yeah, Me, Kevin Stevenson. Uh, today's guest, I am incredibly intimidated by this man's uh, uh, academic background and his work background, but it, he seems like a really good guy. So I think we're going to we're still going to have a, a good conversation. Today's guest is Dr. Mark Schnitzer. Uh, Dr. Schnitzer is board certified in healthcare quality and management by the American Board of Quality Assurance and Utilization Review Physicians with added qualifications as a physician advisor. He is a certified professional in healthcare quality by the National Association for Healthcare Quality and is certified by the American Society for Quality as a Six Sigma black belt. Additionally, he's a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. He has provided a number of provided a number of invited presentations in the area of healthcare informatics, patient safety, and responsible stewardship. And he even serves as an examiner for the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award. Dr. Schnitzer considers himself an interface professional. Mark, I need to know what that is. And and like most clinicians who have transitioned into healthcare leadership roles, he maintains a state of constant inquiry and curiosity with the ever-present thought, love this, there is something I do not know, the knowing of which could change everything. Mark, welcome to I Don't Care. Kevin, it's such a treat. I have, uh, have listened to a number of your podcasts and love them, and I hope to, to maintain the bar. Well, yeah. th thank you for that. I'm not done with your intro because here gets the really meaty part. A BS and master's in electrical engineering. We're going to talk about that. Texas A&M Med School. Kind of hurts my Baylor Bear heart, but that's all right. Here, here we go. Neurosurgery residency at Johns Hopkins. Practicing in Southern California, in Hawaii, and in Abu Dhabi. Former medical director of not one, but two large healthcare organizations, quality alliances. And now... You've decided to be a coach and consultant for Innovative Med Institute. Mark, when do you have time to do all this? And it, it is a it's a great ride. I, I get to work with amazing people and, um, and and I have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do. So so I got to know. I got to know. OK, you started out, you know, you're going the electrical engineering route and then you go to medical school. How did, where did that come from? So. A pre-med pre is a state of mind. It's not a major. Uh, I don't care what any, what any provost says, it's a state of mind. And so I thought, you know, in fact, I, I had been accepted into the uh, College of Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. And, um, and, and I went at orientation the first week, I went to the engineering school. I said, hey, you know what, can I, can I be an engineer instead? And, 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 and they said, yeah, sure, you make the grades. And, and uh, so I did that. As long as you get the prerequisites in for the MCAT, you can study anything you want. Okay. And uh, I, I could not see myself working in, in, as a biologist. I could have seen myself working as an engineer. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the, the route that, that, you've, that you've gone, you know, and... and and neurosurgery to me makes a lot of sense for engineering because you know everything that that you do 
you know, spinal work, the cranial work, whatever. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. Uh, we had a, uh, a Globus rep here. And for those of you who, who aren't familiar with Globus, it's a robotic uh, uh, platform where you can do spines, you can do some cranial work, but we were looking at it from a, a spine perspective. And so I'm looking at that and I'm just fascinated by, by how the, the plan of care is created, how everything is, is you know, locked in. And then they look at me, you know, the, the dumb guy, the dumb administrator. They say, would you like to put a screw in? And I'm looking around there. There's got to be somebody more qualified than me. Uh, but, uh, but really and truly now with the way things are, you kind of need to have that engineering background, don't you? It helps. Well, I think, I think what helps about the engineering background is the, the understanding of processes and, and how, how a systematic approach to processes and the standard work can just simplify things. And, and so as a surgeon, you know, the, I think that, you know, you have to, you do have to have a certain technical facility, but uh, the harder part is knowing upon whom to operate and what operation to do. Uh, as you pointed out, I mean, you could have put in a screw. What you may not have known is, is this the right place and right time for it? Absolutely. And, and that is, you know, that's where the, the medical school and residency. Well, sure. Is. Right. So, so why did you select neurosurgery? I think it's fascinating, but, you know. So I can remember this very clearly. I, um, I, I, at Texas A&M Medical School, when I was there, it was in, I think, the sixth or the seventh class. And there were 40 or 50 of us in the class. And, and until then, nobody had, had chosen neurosurgery after graduation. And so I'm in a, in a third year lecture and they bring in this, the neurosurgeon to give us a, a lecture to the class. And I was spellbound. I was, I was like on the edge of my seat. And, and what was so cool about it to me is how unforgiving it is. And, you know, you, you, can't, you know, that there's a big difference between a millimeter here and a millimeter there in some instances, and it really matters. And I found that so thrilling and so exciting that I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Okay. And, and uh, it worked out, worked out good. I'm happy about it. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, you know, so, so talk to me a little bit about your time in the Middle East, because I find that fascinating. You know, you, know, you were in private practice in Southern California for 15 years, and then you went to Hawaii with Kaiser Permanente to uh, basically talk a little bit about that because that was some significant program development that you had to do. Right, right. which is which is really, I, I'm that. I had a nice solo practice in California for a long time, but the but that that became an anachronism in you know in, in the early 2000s. Being a solo private practice doctor, it just didn't it makes sense uh, business-wise in Southern California, especially. And uh, but at the same time, Kaiser Permanente in Hawaii uh, was utilizing out-of-network neurosurgeons. And while they were really, really good doctors and really, really good people, they weren't aligned with the 
ethos of, of Kaiser Permanente. Uh, and, and, and they made a bad mistake. They made only one mistake, but they made a mistake. And that mistake was to tell the administration at Kaiser Permanente, you'll never find anybody to replace us. And <laughs> I was, uh, you know, okay, here I am. And, uh, and so, I, you know, you can imagine, I didn't know this at the time, but, you know, there was an equal number of people in favor as there were opposed. Because, you know, they've been there for a long time. They have developed relationships with people within the, you know, the Kaiser Permanente community. Nevertheless, though, it was a great experience because um, I had the opportunity to improve the, the scores by deploying processes, you know, the, the uh, patients waiting, the return to work, the, you know, whatever other quality measures. Uh, and, and that turned out to be tremendously successful and, and we laid the, the groundwork for internalizing that neurosurgery department. But, you know, you put stuff like that on LinkedIn and, and you make sure that recruiters can see it if they're interested in seeing it. And the recruiter from, uh, all right, so a recruiter from um, Riyadh, Saudi Arabia called and said, hey, we want you to come and, and be the thing, you know, whatever it was. And, at the, you know, I had a wife and two young daughters and I thought, yeah, I'm not opposed to that, but I just don't think that they know the, the severity of the consequences of misbehaving. And so I turned that one down and then I got oh, to Abu Dhabi. And um, my wife and I went over there. We loved it, loved, loved, loved it. And, um, and they hired me and, um, uh, for this really cool job. They, the, the government hospitals were set up in a way, for some reason they had this idea that if if we put a different management system in each of our hospitals, they will compete against one another and that will cause everything to be better. And of course, you know, what, what ended up happening was duplication of capital expenses, reduction in volume-based competencies, competition, all kinds of things that didn't serve the organization. So finally they said, hey, let's, let's centralize it. And, and so they said, hey, we need a guy. And I said, I'll do it, your guy. And, and, uh, and it, was, it was really fascinating because we had pediatric and adult neurology, pediatric and adult neurosurgery, neuroradiology, including interventional neuroradiology, physical medicine, rehabilitation, and some behavioral health. And, and they liked the idea of, of, of unification, a, a, a single voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, once that was accomplished, then the intention was to hand all of that over to, to the dominion of the Cleveland Clinic, who opened uh, a, a big hospital in Abu Dhabi and it worked out. I remember hearing about that. So what's the difference in care approaches over in the Middle East versus here in the States? I mean, are there any? So I saw some spectacularly talented doctors and very committed and talented nurses. And, and so I, I'm glad you asked a question because they're great. I mean, the people I saw were great. I mean. I saw people who could put screws in bones without 
<laughs> I mean, the, 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 I mean, we, we, that's how we used to do it. But, but these, you know, I, I saw really talented uh, doctors and surgeons, and um, and uh, yeah, fundamentally, we use the same books. You know, we, we 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 do the same stuff for the same reasons, and they're very very talented. Now, what is also true is it's. If you could imagine what it might have been like in the United States in the 1940s and 50s, in terms of the hierarchy, um, it's that. And, and so there are, like, there are potential problems when a nurse uh, who is attending a deteriorating patient in the hospital will not call the consultant, neurosurgeon, for example, they will call the admitting hospitalist. And if for some reason the hospitalist doesn't answer, they don't escalate the call. Or at least they did, you know, when I was there, I spent some time that all made a change. But, you know, I was, uh, I mean, and, you know, that took some deliberate recognition and training. It's like, patient is the thing. If you can't get a doctor, get another doctor at, you know, don't let them deteriorate because of a, nobody answering the phone. Um, but um, I, I mean, they were good. I would have had no problem being, in fact, I mean, I would have had no problem being a patient. Sure. Very interesting. You, you always wonder and you always hear. And so that, that's, that's great to hear. So, so then you came back to the stage and you took a, a little bit of a different route. Uh, let's talk about informatics and quality because, you know, that's uh that's an interesting transition. So let's see. So the end of 2016, the, is that right? I think that's right. 2016, the wars in the, in the Middle East were expensive and oil was cheap. And so it was, it was challenging for expats because the, the government was having trouble you know, they, they, if, if they're going to spend this money, they want to spend it, you know, locally and not give it to the expat. And, and so expats really started leaving uh, the Middle East. And, and, and coincidentally, I got a phone call from a recruiter and they said, hey, Doc, listen, would you be interested in being a physician advisor in Lake St. Louis, Missouri? And I said, yeah. And then I went and I Googled, what's a physician advisor? And where's Lake St. Louis, Missouri? And and that turned out to be an amazingly great job because I I had an opportunity to um, become a subject matter expert in evidence-based best practice and in revenue cycle, which is something that most doctors never learn anything at all about. And um, and, and then you know became the interface between practicing doctors and the the payers essentially uh, and and so um, I helped to develop the processes for uh, denials of insurance coverage for inpatient levels of care for example and and then um, I would review those I would compare them against compendia best practice medical directors and and, and that is the denial remediation, but even more important is the denial prevention. So I would take back this stuff that I was learning, you know, based on the, the practice patterns of the docs, 
and I will say, hey, look, this is, you're doing really, really good work. You're doing the right stuff. You're just not writing it down right. So you're, you're, you're doing it great, but if you, you know, you got to describe what you're doing. The copy and paste in yesterday's notes is not helping you. It's not, it's not, it's not. And, and as a result of that, the financial performance of the organization improved considerably. Oh, I, I'm sure. You know, we, we have physician advisors here at my hospital. And just as you described it, I mean, they're an incredibly invaluable piece of what we do. Uh, you know, making that making that uh, connection uh, between, as you said, the practice of medicine and the reimbursement of medicine, basically. And so. And it's increasingly important in, in um, you know, the ACO world, uh, mm-hmm. you know, body-based care, which, as, as you undoubtedly know, and many in your audience do too. This is, we, in the United States, we've been working on value-based care by one name or another for over a hundred years. You know, Kaiser wasn't first. And, and we just, we call it something else, but, but we're getting closer now. We're getting, you know, each time we try it, we get closer. And, but, you know, if, if you're taking care of a complicated diabetic, but your notes don't, memorialize the fact that it's complicated diabetic, then your organization's only going to get paid for the non-complicated diabetic. Right. That's a whole lot of money that you're not getting paid for. Well, and, and you know, another thing that we find is, you know, a patient will come in for, oh, let's say, you know, just a, a, a surgery. And so the surgeon, you know, general surgeon comes in, boom, they do what they, what they do but they don't document, as you said, the complicated diabetes or, or something else that would, you know, appropriately enhance that, that coding. I mean, we're not, you know, we don't want to do anything that's illegal. We're not going to upcode, but we want to make sure that we're, you know, documenting appropriately so that we can get reimbursed for that. You know, that was the same thing, you know, back during the pandemic, everybody's saying, oh, hospitals are making all this money on, on COVID patients. You know, I mean, that that was kind of the, a good example because there were so many facets of each and every COVID patient that once you documented the appropriateness, yeah, you're making more money. Absolutely, you are. Because you deserve it. You're taking care of sick right. people. Right. And, and, and taking care of a sick person is much different than than claiming you're taking care of a sick person when you're not. I mean, you, you're entitled to it. That's what it's for. Yeah. So, so I, I got that gig uh, as a physician advisor in Lake St. Louis, I, uh, in Missouri. Beautiful city, great state. I loved it. Uh, and then I got elevated to a regional position. I had to, <laughs> so my move, my office from Lake St. Louis to, to St. Charles, Missouri, which is also lovely. And, uh, uh, and got to do that for a while, and then um, uh, was offered this a new gig in Dallas, which I enjoyed for three years. And now, as pointed out, starting my new thing. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I want to talk a little bit about your Baldridge uh, Award uh, examining experience because, you know, that's still relatively. I mean, it's not new in healthcare anymore, but it's still not a whole lot of hospitals are going for that. I was introduced to it 
whenever I was president of a school board north of Dallas, uh, probably oh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And the, the school district was going through the Baldur's journey not to get, you know, not to win the award, but basically just to go through the journey to improve their operations. And so that was about the time you started seeing healthcare organizations pop up. Talk a little bit about that. So you're 100% right about that. It was around a dozen years ago or so when SSM Health, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, earned the first Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award in healthcare. So, so they were the very first. And um, I didn't know that when I got my job there, but it, it was certainly a, a, a proud part of the orientation. And then um, as, I'm, as I'm working, I see, you know, in, in the ACHE newsletter, um, Malcolm Baldrige National Quality Award looking for examiners. <laughs> deadline in three days or something like that. I, so I, 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 like I did it. I mean, I, I just got the letters of recommendation. I did the application. I did everything. And lo and behold, um, I was admitted to be an examiner. It is incredibly hard work. And I have never loved anything more. Um, and um, there's an enormous amount of camaraderie among the examiners and an intention, a deliberate intention to enable the applicants to do better with the feedback. That's the whole intention is to do better. And, and as a result, I mean, I, I've done this now for several years and, and, and was elevated to senior examiner, uh, which I'm really quite proud of. But, but it, it, it's a double-edged sword because I've had a chance to walk through truly astonishingly great healthcare organizations. Like, wow, great. And, um, and, and I can tell you firsthand, you can't go home and say, if we do this and this, because it's eight levels higher, 10 levels higher than wherever the current um, place that I ever worked was. I can't say, boy, do this because I've seen great things with this. They can't see it. They, they have no visibility into what's above their current level of consciousness. And, and so it's really interesting because you get a lot of trouble because I can tell you, you talk to somebody here and, and you tell them, you know, about, about this and they're struggling with this, um, they're going to, they're going to kick you out and, it, it, and, and, you know, that's it. So, so leading up is, is, uh, you know, something that I did for a long time. Uh, I still Interesting. So it sounds like that then led to the transition to what you're doing now. So, so tell my audience, what's Mark, what's Mark up to? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I've, I've lost track of which version I am now. 3.0, 4.0. I don't, I don't remember. But I am now um, a, a certified executive coach. 
Uh, and, and unlike other certified executive coaches, I, I have decades of experience as a clinical and non-clinical healthcare leader. And I provide a trustworthy, safe space for healthcare executives to uh, discover their style, to, to understand the roadblocks and the breakthroughs in performance that they already are aware of but they haven't, they haven't been able to get past some unexamined assumptions or some, some blind spots in their self-awareness. And, and, and that's really what coaching is, is, is helping high-performance individuals identify um, um, uh, facets of their self-awareness that need a little polish and then help hold them accountable to what they're going to do with that newly discovered self-awareness. And, and, and it, as it turns out, the return on investment of that for organizations, healthcare and otherwise, is, is enormous and documented, you know, uh, uh, quite valuable. I would imagine. So, so I, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, do you see a lot of new physician executives yeah, new physician administrators gravitating towards you because of your background. Um, so, so yes, because of the because of my time in the game and the gray hair, not because of the credential. And and so so this the coaching style has been my go-to for a long time. So. Uh, there are a lot of people over the years, nurses and doctors, uh, um, and, and some healthcare administrators, lay healthcare administrators as well, um, uh, that I've been able to interact with in that way. Now it's more formalized. It's okay. You know, um, and so, so, so your 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 typical coaching engagements are they you know three months, six months, a year, longer than that? You know. So the, the you know the the goal would be would be long term the the, the okay. as a first pass though it, it would you know depending on conversations with the prospective client six months with a you know three month evaluation to decide if we want to uh, stop early or continue on but but in general if it's if, if you do it right and if there's a you know a, a good relationship between the client and the coach there's, there's really no reason to stop because it's, it, it turns out to be an investment and, and not a cost. Sure. Well, Mark, it has been just fascinating, you know, getting to know you and hearing your career path because it is certainly not linear. I'll tell you that. But, but you know, that's what I enjoy about this is, is meeting people who, you know, you're creative, you're, you're, you're wanting to try new things. And, uh, Man, I salute you for that. That's that's incredible. Thank you very much, Kevin. I mean, joining you is is one of the highlights of my professional career. I mean, you know a lot of people, and you're very thoughtful and insightful, and I've enjoyed it a lot. And, well, um, I, I, I appreciate that. Now, you're not buttering me up so I can you know call you for a coaching agreement uh, engagement, are you? Maybe so. I see. I see what you're doing there, Mark. Yeah. Okay.
Always, always be selling. I've heard that somewhere. I, I don't know where. Uh, but anyway, Dr. Mark Snitzer, thanks so much for joining me on I Don't Care. It, again, it's been a real pleasure and would love to have you back on again at another time. You name it, Kevin, I'm in. Sounds good. All right, audience, hey, you know, it's another, uh, we wrapped up another episode of I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you next week. Take care.